probably like many of you, like to know where I'm going. And we want to know what will happen in our future, right? We want to know where we're going to go to college, who we'll marry, if we're going to marry, if we'll have children, if we'll have grandchildren, who's going to take care of us when we get older, when are we going to die. And even on a smaller scale, we have questions like that. We want to know where we're going. Before we get in the car, or even when we're in the car, we want to know how to get to our destination. And we want to know how things will end. How will this movie end? How will this book end? And the Chiefs fans right now, which are probably many of you, are wondering, how far are we going to go in the playoffs this season? Well, as a church, we've spent the past year studying the whole Bible which we've talked about. And today we're going to focus on the end of the story. By the end of today's message, you will know how the story will end. The story of history. And I want you to tune in because the end of the story has implications for us today. So as we begin, let's begin with prayer. Father, we just thank you that we have reason to celebrate, we have reason to hope, Lord, that you are present with us in our midst. Lord, we ask that your presence would be known, Lord, that you would speak through your word, that you would speak through me, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear your message to us this morning. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, God gave John, a disciple of Jesus, a grand vision of the end of the story. And we find that in the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation, if we've spent some time there, is really difficult to understand. Um, Maybe you guys have felt that. I know I have felt that. So to really set our time up this morning, I first want to provide a little bit of background in the book of Revelation. I won't be able to unpack all of it, but at least to help us understand what's in the text. So the book of Revelation includes storytelling, narrative. It includes consequences, what's going to happen if you do A or B. And it includes apocalypse, Revealing something hidden. I kind of think about that as moving our couch or kids having to do cleaning in our room for our chores and finding what's underneath all of the hidden things, whether it's toys or dust balls or goldfish. (laughs) Well, Revelation appeals to our imagination. In it, we find word pictures, pictures that are to affect us, to bring about a response in us. And Revelation gives us symbolic signposts. And these signposts don't provide a detailed picture of what's at the end, like Google Maps does. But these signposts are pointing us in a direction. And here's a signpost here. It says, dead end. Even though we don't know what the end of the street looks like, we know if we want to go for a long ways, This is not the street to take. So these signposts tell us a truth about what lies ahead. And what lies ahead in the end is a cosmic battle 
when Jesus Christ returns, a battle between God and evil, where God will triumph, evil will be judged, and all things will be made new. Not just the book of Revelation has been pointing to chapters 21 and 22, the whole Bible has been pointing to this moment when evil will be no more, when the curse is reversed, when all things will be made new, when we will be in God's presence for eternity under his reign and reigning with him. Revelation 21, 1 through 8 brings us good news. God is making all things new. God is making all things new is the main point of our text this morning. And during this sermon, we will ask and answer three main questions. What is made new? Who is making things new? And what do we do? So first, what is made new? We see the answer to that in verses 1 through 5. It's everything. All things will be made new. But the new heaven and the new earth won't include everything that's in the world today. John says in verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The heaven and earth God had created will be made new. Why? Because sin entered the world, and when sin entered the world, so did suffering. In the new heaven and the new earth, there will be no more sin or suffering. In verse 1, John goes on to say, And the sea will be no more. The sea will be no more. That seems like a really strange thing to get rid of. And what the original audience thought about the sea and what we might think about the sea can be really different from one another. I personally love the sea. If it's warm enough, I like to swim in it, kayak in it, body surf in it. But when I was a toddler, my parents could tell you, I did not like the sea. I was deathly afraid of it. It terrified me. I would not get in it. It seemed untamed, chaotic. It felt dangerous. And how I saw the sea as a child is similar how those in the first century saw the sea. To them, it was a symbol of evil. The sea represents rebellion in the Old Testament, and in the book of Revelation, it's symbolized as where God's greatest enemy dwells, Satan. We see that in Revelation chapter 12. When John says the sea is no more, he is saying that evil will be no more. Satan will be no more. In verse 4, the angel says, God will wipe away every tear from his people's eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. For God's people, there will be peace. There will be shalom. Everything that brings suffering will be gone. It won't exist. And right now, we long for our suffering to be removed, right? 
This is what we and all of creation desperately wait for, cry out for, we hope for. And knowing that God is making all things new gives us hope in our present suffering. It gives us the faith to cry out, Come, Lord Jesus. Come and judge evil. Come and make all things new. Make things right. We have hope because God will reverse the curse. And we sang about this this morning in Joy to the World, that God will reverse the curse as far as the curse is found. In the season of Advent, the weeks leading up to Christmas, which just passed, is a time of anticipation, of waiting, of longing, a time of hope, where we hope for Jesus' first coming, his birth. We hope for Jesus' second coming. And we long for Jesus to come into our lives in the present, to experience his presence now. Preston Yancey says, Advent invites us to stand in the tension of the first coming and the second, to keep our eyes on the horizon because the whole symphony of his creation could come to its crescendo at any moment. We don't know when it will come, but we know that the crescendo of all of creation is the new heaven and the new earth. And that's where we'll turn next. But before we do, what is heaven? What do we mean by that? What images come into our mind when we hear the word heaven? Well, our, our culture can picture heaven this way, as a place up far in the sky for those saved by God, removed from this world where we don't have any cares. We just relax, we kick up our feet, and we become a chubby angel magically. And we join with other chubby angels, singing songs, playing harps for a never-ending church service. Well, that is not the picture we find in Revelation 21 and 22. We find in there a different picture of heaven. Heaven is not going to look like this far side cartoon where we're sitting on a cloud, just waiting, bored out of our minds, kind of like waiting around at a doctor's office saying, I wish I'd brought a magazine. That is not what heaven is going to look like. And we are not going to heaven. Heaven is actually coming to us. God is not scrapping his good yet broken creation. God is making all things new. So what will the new include now that we've looked at what it won't include? In verse 1, the new heaven and the new earth, the first heaven and the first earth are temporary. But the new heaven and the new earth are permanent. That's what we mean by eternity. It's going to last forever. So what does new mean? Does it mean a replacement of the old? Kind of like maybe some of us for Christmas. We got some new clothes or some new shoes to replace our old ones. Is it going to look like that? Or is it going to be a transformation of it? Well, the clue is in verse 5. Look there. God says, I am making all things new. God will renew, renovate, and restore creation. 
so that it is transformed into a new creation. God's created order will be restored, and it will be made glorious. New creation includes all God's people, and it includes heaven and earth. Creation's future is tied to our future. All things will be made new. And here's a pie chart. For those of us who are visual, (laughs) everything is going to be made new. And so what does that new mean? New in our text this morning means previously unknown, unheard of. That sounds kind of mysterious. The new creation will be like the old in some ways. It will be its counterpart. It will have the same essence. But it will go beyond it. It will be radically different. And for me, I love chocolate. And so I compare the old creation to run-of-the-mill milk chocolate. And I compare new creation to dark chocolate truffles, which taste glorious in my mind. (laughs) In the new creation, heaven will be brought down to earth. Heaven and earth will be made one. They'll be united. And this is a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 65, 17 to 20. And in verse 2, we see that new creation is called the holy city, New Jerusalem. The holy city, Jerusalem, comes from Isaiah 52, where God's people will no longer suffer, and they will be restored to God's presence forever. And New Jerusalem is both a place and a people, and it's described like a bride, which we see in verse 2. New Jerusalem is prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. As a city, she is beautiful beyond comparison. Later on in in chapter 21 in verses 10 and 11, it describes the city this way. It has the glory of God, radiance like a jewel. In verses 23 through 24, it's full of light, the light of God, God shines, and there is no darkness in it. In verse 27, it says, Nothing unclean will ever enter it. It is holy. And the people of God are described this way. They're wearing their best, which isn't their Christmas clothes. This is a Christmas present of mine. They're actually clothed in garments of salvation as a bride adorns herself with jewels god is preparing us to be his bride so that we reflect his glory both now and forever we are to be clothed with christ's righteousness and our righteous deeds the metaphor of marriage points to god's intimacy and fellowship with his people New creation is a place of communion, communion between God and God's people. And the angel talks about this in verse 3. In a loud voice, the angels declare, Look, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. The angels declare what is new. God's people 
in God's presence. What makes new creation new is God's presence. Being with God is at the heart of new creation. God's plan from the beginning was to dwell with his people. But humanity chose differently back in the garden. So 2,000 years ago, God entered the broken yet beautiful world to dwell with us in Jesus, called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And God is with us now, but in new creation, he will be with us in more of a complete sense. Revelation 22.4 says, We will see God's face. We will be face to face with God. The greatest blessing of new creation is being in God's presence. It's having fellowship with God. So we've learned that everything is going to be made new. New will not include sin and suffering. New will include a transformation of all of creation. And what makes new creation new is God's presence with God's people. God is the one who is making things new. We see that in verse 2. The new heaven and the new earth comes down from God. God says, I am making all things new. And God says in verse 6, I am the Alpha and Omega. I am the A to Z. Alpha and Omega are the first and last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. God says, I am the beginning and end. God is saying he is in control over all of history, the beginning, the end, and everything in between. God is sovereign, and he is the one that guides all of history. He is the Lord of lords. He is the king of kings, and he alone rules over nature and history. And God will establish his kingdom on earth. God's kingdom means God's sovereign rule or reign. And Revelation 19 to 20 gives us a picture of Jesus Christ's victory once and for all over evil, over Satan. So we know how the story will end. God wins. God reigns. That is good news for us. But right now, Satan still seeks to rule in this world. That's why we experience sin and suffering. Satan knows he's going to lose, but he keeps on fighting. Satan's defeat will not be final until the end, but Satan is not sovereign. Only God is sovereign. And so Satan is going to be defeated, and the last word is going to be, God reigns. And I was reminded of this recently at the Messiah concert at the beautiful Kaufman Center, and a number of our Christ community staff went to celebrate Christmas together. And my favorite part of the concert was when the entire audience stood up and sang the Hallelujah Chorus with the choir. And the Hallelujah Chorus comes from the book of Revelation, comes from what we're in today. And I'm just going to read a piece of it. I'm not a good singer, 
there's a reason why John does not ask me to sing up here, so I'm not even going to try to sing it for us. Um, But just imagine as I'm reading some of this chorus, and he shall reign forever and ever, King of kings and Lord of lords, and he shall reign forever and ever, King of kings, Lord of lords, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. God reigns. Hallelujah. Verse 6, God says, It is done. God has finished his work. All that he has promised is going to be fulfilled in the new creation. Verses 6 and 8 contrast those who will spend an eternity in God's presence and those who will not. Look at Revelation 21:25. It says the gates of heaven are always open, but not all will come in. Eternity with God is not sought out by some. It's a choice. Instead, they choose eternal separation from God. The list in verse 8 is not a random list in sins. It sums up the sins of unbelievers in the entire book of Revelation. Unbelievers were both inside the church and outside the church. And the book of Revelation describes these people in two key ways. One, they never repent. They never are sorry for their sin. They never turn to the Lord. They never walk a different way through God's spirit and God's power. Two, they don't worship God. Instead, they worship something or someone else. God's desire is for all people to turn to him in repentance and faith, but not all are going to choose this path. And those who don't choose that path are going to experience God's judgment, which is eternal separation from God as well as additional suffering, which is described as a second death. In light of knowing how this story will end, we need to ask ourselves, what do we do? How does this impact us today? It's good to have a vision of the future, but unless we have practices that coincide with that vision, it doesn't really shape us. It's kind of like making a New Year's resolution, maybe some of us are going to do that, to be healthier, especially after we've eaten all the junk (laughs) during the holidays. But we know if we're going to be more healthy, right, we have to exercise regularly, we have to eat healthy, we have to get enough sleep. If we have a vision for what we want but no practices that come along with it, it's pointless, right? So our vision of the future for us and all of creation should affect how we live today. And there are three responses to God making all things new, which I'm going to highlight. One is we have faith. Two, we pray. And three, we point to the kingdom. We have faith that God is making all things new. We have faith in God whose works we cannot always see. But like we read this morning, his words are always trustworthy and true. Believing that God is making all things new gives us hope in our present suffering. When we see things that need to be renewed in ourselves, 
or in our world, we pray. And we pray as Jesus taught the disciples to pray in the Lord's Prayer. And here's some of the Lord's Prayer that we didn't get to read this morning. Um, or maybe we did, I just missed it. <laughs> your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray for God to reign, to be Lord, for his will to be done. We ask for heaven and earth to come together. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord. Come make all things right. Make all things new. Well, God will make all things new in the future, the new creation, which we talked a lot about this morning. But God is making things new in the present too. And we have a part to play in that, and that is to point to the kingdom. And you might be thinking, really? It does not feel like things are being made new. I look at myself, I look around me, it doesn't feel like that. And isn't it God's job to make things new? Isn't that what we just talked about? Well, it's hard to understand that everything will be renewed when what's surrounding us we see is broken. We look around us, we see cancer, we see broken relationships. Some of us may have really experienced that during the holidays or been reminded of that. And we look inside ourselves and we see selfishness. We see what we do in the dark when no one is looking. We see our own actions, not being loving to a loved one. Living in a sin-stained world can make believing in current renewal of all things difficult. But we need to look for glimmers of glory. Where God is shining right now, shining through creation and God's people. Andy Crouch a Christian author and speaker defines glory as captivating the beauty of something that is so rich it leaves us in awe and close to worship. I experienced this this morning, and we experience this on occasion. It shakes us to the core, leaving us satisfied and hungrier for life. We experience this through beauty, good music, good art, Good food. And I experienced this recently at a Lone Bellow concert. It's an Americana band. It was here in Kansas City. My husband Adam and I went, and I'm not much of a music listener or lover, but this shook me to the core. I felt alive as I listened to their lyrics, as I listened to their harmony, as I saw them playing in concert to one another. And I felt kind of embarrassed, but it brought me to tears. It was so beautiful. I saw God's beauty as they performed. Andy also says, The best of culture right now anticipates the time when all will be made new, when the glory of the Lord will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. The best of culture right now points to the glory of God. And made in God's image, we have a part to play in this. 
We are created to cultivate culture now, and what we do now in service to the Lord isn't in vain. It's not all going to be burned up. The skills and talents we have put to God's service now that he has given us, and perhaps some of the interests we've needed to give up because they conflict with our current vocation, will be used to exercise glory in new creation. The work we do now will be enhanced in new creation. Now, I have to admit, I have no idea what this practically means. <laughs> Our point, the text doesn't point to that for us. In a new Jerusalem where things are beautiful, what will designers do? I don't know. What will artists do? In the new creation where there is no more pain, no more suffering, what will counselors do? What will doctors do? I don't know the answers to those questions, but I do know that the work we do now matters, and it points to the kingdom. N.T. Wright, a Christian author and New Testament scholar who wrote a book, Surprised by Hope, is really helpful here. He gives us some ideas on how we practically point to the kingdom, and we do that in three ways. Beauty, which we just talked about, justice, and evangelism. We must work in the present to build for God's kingdom. God's plan is to set the world right. If we believe that God is going to make all things new, if we pray for God's justice to reign, for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, then we cannot rest content with the major injustices surrounding us right now. We are to point to God's kingdom by fighting injustice. And injustice is both visible and invisible to us. And I don't have time to unpack all of that in today's sermon, but I'm just going to tell you how I see justice, injustice almost every day. On my drive from downtown here to the Brookside campus, right off of Main Street in Midtown, many of you guys probably drive past it too, there's at least five payday loan shops all clustered together. And it's a reminder to me personally of that injustice of predatory lending where the interest rate accumulates to, to on average, in the state of Missouri, over 400%, where there are more payday loan shops in the state of Missouri than McDonald's and Starbucks combined. That's wrong. That is unjust. And... There's churches, there's individuals that have collaborated together to try to fight that at a state level, and they lost this fall. We still need to keep fighting for injustice, folks. And we point to the kingdom by being new creations. We are new creations. That's what we're called in 2 Corinthians 5. We who have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, we are called new creations. And as followers of Jesus, we can be signposts or appetizers to what God wants to do for all of creation as we live faithfully. Through our lives and through our words, we are to tell others 
the good news. The good news that God is making all things new. That he makes me and you new through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection and through his spirit now. The church's work in seeking justice, making beauty, points to new creation. And our engagement as Christians in the world helps make sense of the gospel for others. Through our words and our deeds, we are to communicate the gospel to others. We are to evangelize. This morning we heard the good news that God is making all things new. He is doing so now, and he will do so in the future in a complete sense when heaven and earth become one. Knowing that God is making all things new gives us hope in our present suffering, leads us to pray, come Lord Jesus in the Lord's Prayer, gives us purpose now to point to the kingdom, to point to the king who reigns.